So how are we doing today? Good. I'm a, I'm a teacher, so I teach 10 and 11-year-olds all day, so I have to have them talk back to me just to make sure they're awake sometimes. So thank you for responding. That helps me out. Um, I definitely am excited to be here, but I am not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a pastor. I'm just a wife up here giving my perspective on this topic today. So um, with that said, I am nervous, but I'm going to get through this by reading, so hang in there with me. If I'm not making lots of eye contact, that's why. So, um, so we're talking about a topic today that is, honestly, a lot of us kind of cringe at when we hear it. Um, Dave shared last week about God's authority over all. Today I'm looking specifically at authority within the home. Um, and I want to quickly say this. I know that there are many of you that are sitting here that are not married. And if that's you, hear the truth that applies to you in this message. Much of what God has to say today has less to do with marriage and more to do with him. So... A few weeks back, we were riding in the car together, all four of us, and my son Jason was asking a question, and I ended up answering. Jason told me that he wanted Daddy to answer because he is the boss of the house. Ellie quickly piped in and said, no, Mommy is an assistant boss, and she makes decisions too. So um, it's funny because, it may, I mean, it makes us laugh a little bit, but we're actually really all trying to figure out what is our role in marriage. So I want to jump right in. I want to look at um, the most well-known passage about marriage in the Bible. And you can open up your Bible if you want to Ephesians 5. Um, it'll also be on the screen. Um, starting in verse 22, it says, Submit to one another in reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to yourselves, excuse me, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And then on to verse 33, it says, Each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must um, respect her husband. To some of you in here, these might not feel like very heavy words, but to many of you, these words make you feel discouragement, defeat, and possibly even disgust. But I want you to keep your head up as we're talking today. God would not ask something of you that you are not fully capable of doing through him. When I tell people that Brian asked me to marry him at 8 a.m. in the morning, they usually have a little bit of surprise that they try to hide because it is pretty unusual for a proposal. One night, he left a message for me to meet him at our bench at Lake Mirror. This was the first bench, um, the first date we ever had. We sat on this bench, talked for hours that night. Um, so anyways, I meet him that morning, August 31st, and we, um, he, he sang our song to me, and then he asked me for my hand in marriage. It was a beautiful morning, but um, one thing that I cherish more now than then is the reason for the 8 a.m. proposal. He told me that he asked me to meet him in the morning specifically because he wanted God to bring new mercies to our marriage each morning, like the Bible talks about in Lamentations. Ten years later, I am incredibly grateful for God's new mercies each day in my marriage. Marriage, right along with parenting, has exposed more flaws and inadequacies in me than anything else. But that's the beauty of marriage. Remember in Ephesians, it says to submit to one another. When we can get over the audacity of that word, we can see the beauty of the word. I'm a teacher, so I really like to look up words and things like that because I'm weird. But um, when you look up these words, the synonyms for this word, it doesn't really help my case. It says yield, back down, cave in, surrender, defer. 
And if we're being honest, that's what a lot of us think about when we hear that word. But I want you to really stop and think about what it looks like to submit. We actually have the world's best picture of this at the center of the scripture that we read every day. Jesus' life was submission to his Father. On the cross, we heard the words, not my will, but yours be done. We are say we're striving to be like Christ when it comes to the hard parts, like submitting to one another, but we're actually kind of ornery like children when we have to do it. I know many of you have heard Brian tell this story, um, but when Brian asked my dad to marry me, he quoted Rocky. He always jokes about it, but the words are kind of profound. When Mickey asked Rocky why he would want to marry his sister, Adrienne, Rocky simply states, she got gaps, I got gaps, together we ain't got no gaps. Um, it's funny, but it's, it is, it's, it's good, it's good stuff. So if we will submit to or allow our spouse the room to speak into our lives, beautiful things really can happen. That is gap-filling. Allowing your spouse to speak into your life doesn't always mean you're going to love hearing what they have to say. There are times when I've ugly cried through the tough things that Brian's had to say to me, or I've been defensive at the things he's had to say. But at the end of the day, I know Brian wants what God wants for me, so that makes it easier to listen. There are times when I've had to remind Brian of the truths, which God has clearly stated in his word that he is momentarily forgetting, allowing worry to overwhelm him. Again, he allows me the room to speak into his life. Submission is not a dirty word, but as long as we hold up our heads and refuse to bend our, to our, our own will and desire for another, we are continuing to say no to the life that God has really called us to. The scripture we read earlier talks about a husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church, his people. And then goes on to say that wives are to submit to their husbands as the church with Christ. Our marriage should reflect Christ's love for the church. And just in case that's not clear enough, I'm going to say it this way. People everywhere are not believing this whole Christians having a personal relationship with Christ thing because we can't even show each other dying to self-love amongst ourselves, less in our marriages. We're in need of men who can be godly leaders and women who are able to submit in love to their husbands. I think we hear that marriage isn't easy, but then when we're put in the midst of it, we expect it to be easy. We expect it to just take care of itself. But marriage was never intended to be easy, but rather an opportunity to experience what sacrificial love really is. I read a Tim Keller quote recently that I loved, and it's long, so hang in there with me. But it says, The reason that marriage is so painful and yet wonderful is because it is a reflection of the gospel, which is painful and wonderful at once. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is the only kind of relationship that will really transform us. Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth with, without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. Whereas we are humans and therefore never will obtain perfection, God has provided marriage to help us grow in truth and love. Are you dishing out truth without love? That will never work. Your spouse will crumble under expectations that don't show grace and mercy. Are you dishing out love without truth? Perhaps even more dangerous, if we're never willing to challenge our spouse in love, then we miss why God's paired us with them in the first place. And even if you question this morning, God has a plan and had a plan when he placed you with your spouse. It included more than a marriage, a couple of kids, a cute house, and a nice job too, by the way. He placed you with your spouse because he knew that this was the person you would live out his mission with. And just in case we're unclear on the mission, the Bible states it very plainly for us all. 
Jesus himself left us with these words in Matthew 28, right before he ascended. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the best thing about this whole mission that we're on. It's not a two-man team, but a three-man team. Jesus, with heaping amounts of grace, knowing full now well what we were going to need, left us the Holy Spirit. He is with us on this journey, but sometimes it's like we're driving around in this metaphorical cop car. I picture couples driving in the front seats and the Holy Spirit in the back, trying to speak but unable to communicate through the barrier that's in the middle. What barriers are preventing you and your husband or wife from hearing what the Spirit is saying to you individually and as a team? Are you too busy taking kids to games all the time? Do you fill your evenings with TV and entertainment so much that it crowds God out? Does the entertainment you choose to watch build up the ideal of Christ? Or is it full of language ideas and immoral behaviors that pull away from that? Are you busy leading two separate lives to the point that it's impossible for you to both be on the same team with the Holy Spirit? Are you in the Word every day? Are you memorizing scripture? Are you praying together? Each moment should be purposeful. I know it's easier just to check out at the end of the day, right? We work hard. But as followers of Christ, no, we don't have the opportunity to check out. And quite honestly, this life on earth is not long, and each day is an opportunity lost if not used to glorify God and tell others about him. So back in 2012, Forbes magazine had this article that stated that 65% of people would rather have a new boss than a raise. And I made the mistake in the first service of asking who would want that, and that's probably not a good idea in case your boss is here. So um, I won't do that. But um, I think there's probably a lot of truth to that. It's kind of, it's kind of mind-blowing, but not really at the same time. After I read that, I started looking at my many lines of bosses from the time I was 16 on. The first manager I had at Publix um, made me cry quite often. He, I remember one day in particular, he mockingly asked me if I had ever learned how to mop with a snide smile. Then I had this boss in college who was kind of unpredictable, but one of the most generous people I've ever met. Um, to my very first principal when I was a teacher, um, I was put at her school and she didn't really like my non-education background, and she didn't do a whole lot to help me succeed that year, all the way up to the assistant principal that I work with now. Fortunately for me, I'm in a place in my life where I'm incredibly happy with my boss. I've told her that if she's going to another school, she needs to take me with her. She is humble, empathetic, a problem solver, allows creativity, and genuinely listens when I have concerns. That is invaluable to me. Honestly, I would keep her over a raise this year if I had to choose. Leaders either draw people in and create synergy if they're at their best, or they leave the people around them and under them feeling hopeless, frustrated, unheard, and unhappy day in and day out. I'm starting here because we have to look at the role of the husband in marriage and, and understand how critical it is as we um, start to talk about leadership and, and the position a man holds in his house. I could talk about the qualities we desire in our bosses and leaders all day long because it does give a good picture of what leadership should look like, but that's not really where the measuring stick is. Husbands, you need to lead like Jesus. It is a bold statement because, quite honestly, we need a bold response. As women, as Christians, as a culture, Jesus was many things, but at the heart of his ministry, he was a servant leader. Matthew twenty twenty eight tells us, The Son of Man came to, not to be served, but to serve. Men, married and single, I want to ask you to look back at your week and think about the things you did at home or work. Are you seeking out opportunities to serve your family and others? Or are you waiting on others to tend to you and take care of what affects you? For me, it's in the moments that Brian does the dishes, and he's done that a lot for me lately, or brings me a cup of coffee in the morning sometimes. It's in the day in and day out, helping the kids get ready to school, 
for school so that I only have to focus on getting myself dressed and ready to go. And actually allows me to be in the Word and have prayer time before I leave too. It's not even really what he's doing, although he's doing it because he knows how big of a help they'll be, but it's the simple fact that he's seeing moments to take care of me and my needs. That means the world to me. That is servant leadership. It's easy to look at all the one another verses in the Bible and not apply them to our spouse, but I challenge you to take a look in the Word and read those with your husband or wife in mind. Bear one another's burdens. Encourage one another. Be at peace with one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving to one another. Seek good for one another, and don't repay evil for evil. Don't complain against one another. Confess sins to one another. Pray for one another. Don't lie to one another. Give preference to one another in love. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Shall I go on? Like, we could stop right there and go home and have plenty to think about, if we're being honest. Amazingly, Jesus did every single one of these things flawlessly. Men, I'm not asking you to be perfect or flawless, but I am asking you to truly reflect on these words. If these are not your aim for your wife, you're not leading her well. A few years back, Brian wanted to put in words his goals for himself and our family to hang in our room as a daily visual reminder. Every time I read the one about me, I'm humbled. It says, bring out the best in your wife. Study her, serve her, and make her a priority. I'm even more humbled by the fact that he actually does it. It's also important to note that this is his second goal as sitting at Jesus' feet is number one. One of the other key things we see in Jesus' life was that he constantly was going to the Father. Men, are you spending time with Jesus? Are you praying over your family, praying with your family, and pushing them towards the things that will grow their relationship with the Lord? Brian's prayed for me and given scripture at the right time. He's put the right book in my hand at the right time. He's spoken words of encouragement to me to help put my eyes on Jesus instead of circumstances. I remember going through some tough times with ministry a few years back, feeling very misunderstood by pretty much everyone down to my closest friends. Brian asked me many times those months if I was willing to be misunderstood like Jesus. He could have just validated my need for justification, but he didn't. He pointed me to Jesus. I'm so grateful that I allowed him to the room to speak into my life because my mouth really could have gotten me in trouble if I had not followed his lead in this. There are times when Brian's even challenged shows and movies we are watching that just weren't okay to watch. Unfortunately, I don't know if I would have been so quick to turn some things off. I know it's hard to find stuff that truly honors God on TV and movies, but can we really use that as an excuse? I know that Brian seeks God's will in our lives, spends time in his word, and time communing with the Lord daily, so I trust his leadership. Husbands, your devotion to the Lord has the ability to draw your wife in, but on the flip side, your lack of direction in Christ has the ability to lead her astray from the Lord and lack trust in your ability to lead. Leadership should never be taken lightly. Think about it. When something seems to be falling apart, people always point to the person in charge. So husbands, let me ask you this. Would people see you as a successful leader of your family, pointing them to Christ? Men, I want to give you a glimpse into the minds and thoughts of women. I've talked to a lot of women on their bad days, and the question that seems to be at the bottom of our hearts a lot of days is, am I enough? It might not always seem that simple, but it truly is the question that comes to the front of our mind a lot of days. Don't feel like it's a waste of time to meet that need in your wife. When you take time to build your wife up, you are loving her like Jesus and helping her to have the confidence that she needs to do what God has called her to do. Tell her all the things you see in her that make her amazing, uh, an amazing human being from the way she looks to the qualities she exhibits. They are God-given, and I have no doubt he intends to use them. Husbands, it can be tempting to tell your wives, wife that she just what she needs to do. Excuse me, let me back up. Husbands, it can be tempting to feel the need to just tell your wife what she needs to do. 
but that's not leadership. That's being pushy, bossy. Can I remind you that Jesus has always been in the business of meeting people where they are at? Meet your wife where she's at. Don't demand she change, but come alongside her and encourage her on the journey. And ladies, why we're talking about us? I need you to really hear my heart in this. But why is it that so many of us struggle with the idea of letting our husbands lead? We're caught up in the idea that women are equal and can be better, do better, and dominate. And whereas there is some truth to each of those statements, they're not the ideal. If we really can't be led, then we're questioning a lot more than our husband. We're questioning the way that God intended things to be. This might be a newsflash, but he's been around since the beginning of time and has infinitely more wisdom than any of us could ever possibly obtain. So I'm pretty sure he thought this whole marriage thing through. Wives, we are called to submit like Christ. We are to live our lives submitted to him, but it's just like him to give us an example of what that looks like. Jesus' life on earth is a picture of submission and authority functioning all at once. Jesus had to leave the communion of heaven with his father at his father's command. He lived a life that had pain, grief, temptation, misrepresentation, and eventual death on a cross at the hands of a crowd that loathed him for no real reason. He had the authority to stop it all, but submitted to the will of the Father. If I were to wake up and really think about that sacrificial love every morning, I'm sure it really would give me an attitude adjustment. When you find it hard to endure at home, consider what Jesus has already done. Think about the way you speak to your husband and the kind of atmosphere that you create for him. Does he feel respected and valued by you? Or does he feel belittled by your words and closed off by your actions? Women more than men are very quick to run and tell their friends when their man just ain't getting it right. But ladies, we're running the wrong direction. If we want things to change in our husband and in our home, we have to run to Christ. Remember, we have the Holy Spirit on our three-man team. I'm not saying don't talk to anyone at all, but what I am saying is if you do, keep it to a trusted friend who will give you biblical counsel. One of the biggest mistakes women can make is expecting their husband to fulfill all their needs, which is just impossible. Ruth Ann Bell said, It is a foolish woman who expects her husband to be to her that which only Jesus Christ himself can be. Always ready to forgive, totally understanding, unending patient, unendingly patient, invariably tender and loving, unfailing in every area, anticipating every need, and making more than adequate provision. Such expectations put a man under an impossible strain. Your husband wasn't meant to fill every gap, but he is to show you to the one that can. I often hear people say they know who really wears the pants in the family, or we watch sitcoms full of bumbling husbands and see wives who manage to run the whole house despite their husband. Ladies, that should make us cringe. Many women struggle to truly allow their husband room to lead. Some women just have strong personality types, and for others, they feel their husband is passive and surely he can't lead. I assure you, in either of those situations, he can lead. You play a key role in your husband's leadership of the family. Rely on him for big decisions. Show him respect in words and actions, both in public and in your home, in front of your children, and one-on-one. -on -one. one thing I've always been very convicted of is not speaking poorly of Brian to others. On the contrary, I truly am his number one fan. It's not to say that I never have an issue with him, but I choose to speak with him and with Jesus when there is an issue. Ladies, I challenge you to really monitor the words coming out of your mouth regarding your spouse this week. Are they words that build him up or tear him down? Just like women want to know if they're enough, men want to know if they're valued and successful. If you tear them down to their face or to your friends, you're doing more harm than you realize. You also tear them down when you try to lead your home instead of allowing them to fulfill their God-given role. And the next thing, some of you might not really want to hear, but I'm going to say it anyways because I feel like I finally heard my husband. 
after 10 years of marriage, most men feel most emotionally connected during sex. It's not to say they don't feel emotional connection with all of the other moments, but sex is at the top of the list. I'm a woman, so I understand that a lot of you women are out there like, I just don't buy it. But <laughs> your husband isn't after you because he just wants sex. He truly feels intimately connected to you through this physical act. When you deny him, it's more than a one-night no. It speaks levels of rejection to him over time. As a mom and a teacher, I'm often thinking about how tired I am and how early my alarm is going to go off the next morning. But another way that I can love my husband well is to be intentional about sex. Think about how it fits into your schedule and what you can do to make your mind distraction-free to allow yourself to truly be caught up in the moment. Your desire for emotional connection will come through your physical connection with your husband. And husbands, let me let you in on a little secret. This is like a lean-in. Your brain switched to sex in an instant, and women take a little longer. If your wife isn't immediately ready to go, give her time to change the gears. Ladies, if you have ever withheld sex from your husband because you were angry at him, can I lovingly tell you that really will accomplish nothing? I, I'll, excuse me, I'll also say that in a world with everything at our fingertips, many have allowed pornography to fill a void that only sex within marriage can fill. Pornography creates a selfish, unrealistic picture of God's greatest gift to marriage, and it will wreak havoc in your marriage. 1 Corinthians 7, 4-5 says, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. And in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, husbands... This is not a free ticket for sex to be the only thing you have to do for connection. On the contrary, your love for your wife is shown in how you care for her each moment, each day, every day. I'm sure you've heard the reference to a Proverbs 31 woman, but have you really taken time to read it through? A couple of the verses in the message paraphrase say, Her husband trusts her without reserve and never has reason to regret it. Never spiteful, she treats him generously all her life long. The woman to be admired and praised is the woman who lives in the fear of God. Can these words be said of you? Never spiteful a woman who fears the Lord? Women, I want to challenge you to fall in love with Jesus. About five years ago, I went on this retreat, and I had a stark realization that I was searching for worth and value in my husband. As a relatively new wife, I struggled with feeling more affection for my husband than for God. I was literally wooed by my Savior that weekend in a way that blew my mind. I'm so grateful for that weekend still because I woke up and realized that I had a relationship with Jesus and really needed to get to know him in an intimate way. I've read more, prayed more, praised more, and cried more as God has grown me over these past five years. But I can stand before you and say I'm truly more in love with him than I ever have been before. And I'm going to go down a side trail here for a minute, and I want to talk about how this impacts our raising our kids. There's this predominant idea, predominant idea in parenting today that allows children to explore and figure things out for themselves. We don't want to pressure them too much for fear of rebellion or pushing them away from God. I'm going to stand here and say this very humbly because my children are only six and eight, but I am not willing to take the risk that they may or may not figure out this whole personal relationship with Christ thing. We talk about Jesus every day in our house. We spend time on our knees in prayer as a family. When mistakes are made by any one of the four of us, we use it as an opportunity to think about what God's word says about sin and how we should respond. Parents, your sole goal for your children should be pointing them towards Christ. Good character, good sportsmanship, good manners, and good grades are simply not good enough. Give them the best. That's Jesus. You need to be willing to call out their sin and love. 
Did you know that the priest Eli was severely punished by God in the Bible for not dealing with his sons who were follow, not following God's command in the temple? You are accountable for your children. It's not to say that they won't rebel because honestly, they will. We're all sinners. However, how you respond matters. Are you more concerned about your kids loving you or loving Jesus? Seriously, think about that. The truth is, though, if your kids love Jesus, they'll love you. And while we're there, your marriage speaks volumes to your children about Christ. What is it communicating both verbally and, more importantly, non-verbally? Some of you, perhaps, are on the other end of your life, and your children don't live with you anymore. Your goal should always remain to point them to Christ. If they come to you in crisis, help them to run to God's word and pray with them and for them. Your role as a parent may look different through the years, but it never changes in purpose. Some of you think that the mission changes as you grow older, too. We live in a society that says we do everything in our youth, including doing great things for God, but then we settle into our marriage and parenting and forget that even in the midst of those things, our greatest commandment has always been to tell others about Jesus. To the older crowd in here, can I lovingly say to you that perhaps you are in the best position to do this? You no longer have to worry about the day-in and day-out parenting roles. Our goal is not to grow old, retire, and reap all the benefits of our hard work. On the contrary, your goal is to finish the race well. Many runners say that the second part of a race should be faster than the first, and most runners sprint at the end because they know the rest, that rest is just a few strides ahead. To the older generation in here, are you running the second part of the race harder than the first? Are you living missionally every day? I read a short devotional this week called Revival in the Home. It was interesting because it noted that sin first entered the home before anywhere else. It entered Adam and Eve's home. It went on to say, we probably sin more often in our homes than anywhere else. That is why we first need revival in our homes. We need revival in our church. We need revival in our country. We need revival in this world, but we can only pretend that we have revival in our church until we have it in our homes. The home is the hardest place to begin. It will cost us more here than anywhere else, but this is the place where we must begin. I'm going to be honest with you. I have really, my heart has just been heavy these past few years for our church. You've all heard the pastors talk about this too, but our church is positioned to do incredible things in Jesus' name. Revival really can happen here, but the word I read in this book hit me like a ton of bricks. We can ask and pray for revival all day long, but if we don't desire it in our home first and live it out in our home first, then it certainly won't come here. There seems to be a resistance to do the things that God is asking of us. If you long to be in love with your spouse, you need to first be in love with Jesus. The revival starts with you personally making a decision to let Jesus' words and life determine the way you live yours. I looked up the re word revival, and I liked the picture that these words painted. It said an instance of something becoming popular, active, or important again. The synonym said come back, reestablishment, reintroduction, excuse me, restoration, resurrection. Do you need your relationship with Jesus to become important and active again? Do you need to be reintroduced to your Savior today? Do you need restoration and resurrection in your marriage today? Do you need to come back to the mission God has before you instead of letting life determine your next steps? Does your home need to be reestablished on the rock instead of the chaos? Revival always, always starts with confession of sin and asking forgiveness. Ruth Ann Bell had another pointed statement worth repeating on the secret to being married so long. She said, a happy marriage is a union of two good forgivers. Do you need to allow bitterness to fall away and forgive your spouse today?